So here we are smack dab in the middle of the school of sharing. And I'll give you a minor disclaimer to begin with um, this morning. This is the longest sermon introduction you'll ever hear in your lifetime. I'm just telling you, it's gonna take a while to get to the gospel. But the gospel is at the heart of all of it. So do not despair. We will arrive there. I've been reading the Proverbs this week and I'd like to start just by picking out one or two or 20 Proverbs to share with you. This is Proverbs 3, 3 where I'm starting and I'm gonna skip through Proverbs. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. You heard that this morning, right? Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablets of your heart. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones, Proverbs 6. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. These are the seven that are detestable. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Proverbs 11. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. Proverbs 12, from the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things, and the work of their hands brings them reward. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. Proverbs 16, the wise in heart are called discerning, and gracious words promote instruction. The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent and their lips promote instruction. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and, the he and healing to the bones. Boy, there's a lot of wisdom there, isn't there? If you start to distill those things out, you might even hear the echo of 1 Peter 2 in these words. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I've been thinking about those Proverbs and the various lists of wisdom. This is still the sermon introduction. And I have a top 10 list of things not to share. <laughs> Don't share these things. We're in the school of sharing, and sometimes we learn by the opposite example. Here's 10 things not to share. The first isn't exactly from scripture, but I think you'll see the wisdom in it. In 10th place, don't share your toothbrush. Okay. And if you do, don't tell me about it. In ninth place, don't share false information, do not lie. When you share false information, you damage the relationship you have with all the individuals involved. You damage people's ability to trust you. And if folks can't trust you, you can never be of any earthly good to them. Don't share false information. 
In eighth place, do not share the opinions of others when you are not certain they are true, even if you want them to be true. We live in a day and age when experts disagree on many things. And unfortunately, we're called to make decisions based on the conflicting advice of experts. However, there is a huge difference between having to make choices based on the differing opinions of experts and believing that you you yourself are the actual expert, especially when you have no training in the area we're discussing. When you're not an expert, don't pretend to be one just because you heard a news story or read an article or two. If the experts disagree, the folks who actually have the training, why should we feel qualified to share our expert opinions when we know we're not experts? Don't share opinions as if you're an expert when you're not. Seven, don't share fake news. Now I'm not saying that everything that is labeled fake news by one politician or another is actually fake news. And I'm not saying that any news outlet has the right to automatically proclaim something fake news, but I'm saying this. In these particular days, we have to be wise. News agencies have agendas that are both monetary and political. We are easily manipulated by media of various uh, origins on both sides of the spectrum. And so my advice to you is take time to discover inherent biases, get your information from various sources, nurture friends who have varying perspectives so you can discern fake news when you see it. And then once you see it, don't share it. In sixth place, don't share gossip. Gossip is casual or unconstrained conversation or reports of other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. If the story isn't yours to tell, don't tell it. If the story isn't something the people involved would want told, don't tell it. If you would be embarrassed being caught by telling a particular story, don't tell it. I could go on and on, you know, about telling stories behind people's backs, about spreading stories while pretending to care for someone, about gossiping while praying in public. Just don't do it. Protect the private or embarrassing information of other people just as you would want your own private information protected. Fifth place, don't share insults. Negative talk about others shouldn't pass your lips. People who aren't present don't have a chance to defend themselves or give proper perspective. It's impossible to say you love someone and slander or insult them at the same time. The old proverb that we used to know when I was itty bitty bitty was, if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. It's still wise advice. Fourth, don't share prejudice. Prejudice, prejudging is wrong. 
Any judgment you make that is not based on a personal interaction with a specific person that is not limited to that person alone is likely a prejudgment with a prejudice. Whenever we judge persons by the behavior of other similar persons to them, we're making prejudgments, always wrong. Now we know, of course, racial prejudice is wrong. We know, of course, gender prejudice is wrong. We know, of course, ethnic or age prejudice is wrong. Let's face it, all prejudice is wrong. Never share it, never laugh at it, never participate in it. Don't share prejudice. Third place, don't share bad theology or trite phrases that offer no comfort and no wisdom. Everything happens for a reason is the worst thing you can say to a person who's hurting. It may be the reason the person you're facing is experiencing pain is because the reason is someone else chose to drive while drinking and were drunk and killed their loved one. And that's not the time to say everything happens for a reason, especially when the reasons are poor choices of other humans. Some folks will trot out the, the, the partial biblical phrase, God works all things together for our good, which is only half of the verse to begin with. And isn't the intention of the scripture to say that everything is meant for our good, but it is to say that in the worst days of our life, God can transform and redeem many things for our good. And that he can work for our good, which is different than saying all things work to the good as if God caused this horrible thing to happen to someone for our good. They are completely different theologically. Don't share bad theology, especially at critical times. In second place, don't share your bad attitude critical spirit or bitterness. Paul tells us to rejoice in all things. But you know, some of us like to be crotchety, curmudgeonly, and miserable. And if that is you, do us a great favor and keep it to yourself. Bitterness is every bit as contagious as the worst virus. And what we need desperately is encouragement and support and the joy of the Lord among us. We don't need bitterness. We don't need a critical spirit. We don't need a bad attitude. It's no surprise that in Proverbs 6 we are told that one of the things the Lord hates is a person who stirs up conflict. Right? We don't need the bitterness. We don't need the critical spirit. We need the joy of the Lord among us. First place. Don't share condemnation or judgment. There's enough judgment and condemnation in the world. We don't have to add to it. Outside the church, our role is to be salt and light. We are witnesses to the truth of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit convinces men and women of sin. That's his job, not our job. Now, inside the church, things are a little different. We do have to make judgments. We're encouraged to help one another stay on the narrow path. And that means within the fellowship from time to time, we make judgments regarding behavior and belief. But this is a group project. This is something we do together as we encourage us. And if your judgment isn't more encouragement than judgment, the proportions are out of whack. And I would encourage you in this way. 
If you have not been specifically invited into a conversation about judgment, which is a conversation about spiritual discernment, that you wait for the invitation. You wait for someone to say, hey, what do you think about this? Which is the Spirit's invitation for you to step into a conversation. Because judgment, even within the body of Christ, is a sensitive thing. And, and if you feel the need, and this happens from time to time, if you feel the need where you see a brother and sister um, heading dangerously towards something and you just want to wave a red flag and say, do you know where this is going to lead you? Rather than leading with judgment or condemnation, come alongside and ask questions. Say, are you sure this is right? Humbly approach and ask questions because you may have misread the situation completely. And if we're not humble and gracious and encouraging, even in our judgments, we'll have missed the opportunity to do the thing the Spirit once accomplished among us. Here ends the introduction to the sermon. This is my fear. My fear is this. Here you have all these advices, you have all these proverbs, and I'm wondering if all that discussion is simply a waste of time. Is it, is it we, we can't do these things? I mean, why is our success rate so low? The Church of Jesus Christ has been around for thousands of years now, and I still hear gossiping in the lobby. And this isn't new wisdom, right? This is ancient wisdom. And we're miserable at it. We're still defensive. We, we don't trust one another. We, we have trouble talking to each other if our opinions are different. We, we struggle. And, and I don't think this wisdom is rocket science. I, I think it's, it's simple. I think it's simple. And, and this story from Matthew, I think strikes right at the heart of the issue. And so I'd like to read from, from Matthew 15. I'm going to start in verse one. And since this is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I invite you to stand for the reading. This is Matthew 15. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, their teachings are merely human rules. 
Verse 10, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Verse 15, Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When we do self-examination, when we ask the Spirit to, to search us and know us so frequently, we look to see if our external performance is up to snuff. We see the discrepancies in our performance, we lament, we try to do better, but we have missed the point. Too often, we're focused on our outward performance rather than setting our sight on why our performance is poor to begin with. And Jesus makes it clear to us in this passage. What is inside invariably comes out, and that is what defiles us. We need to look deep inside rather than outside. It's not the irritants external to us that cause our behavior. It is what is in our hearts that issues forth in action. This is Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. This word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. If if we really want to know the condition of our heart, we simply have to ask these kinds of questions rather than questions about our performance. These are a different category of questions. Why do I like this person so little that I want to injure them by gossiping? Why do I feel the need to get attention so much that I'm willing to stir up trouble to get it? Or why am I so angry with this person that I would say things to injure their reputation? There is a heart matter involved every time I transgress the law of love. Gossiping is a failure of love. Lying is a failure of love. Bragging is a failure of love. Insulting others is a failure of love. Flinging out trite phrases that do not really console is a failure to love enough to care well. Boasting of your opinion is a failure of love. And it is this 
failure of love that we have to deal with. Rather than making a list of things we shouldn't share or, or don't want to do, what we need are not new resolutions to stop doing the bad things. What we need is a new practice, a new practice. Every time we find ourselves doing these things on the list, the list of seven things that the Lord detests or, or whatever these actions are that we have cataloged that trip us up again and again, we need a new practice. And the first step of the practice is we must ask for forgiveness. Then we must ask the Holy Spirit, why is it that I love so poorly why has my love failed? And then we must ask for the love of God to fill us so that we can love properly and effectively. I don't know if you're aware of this. That practice is the central doctrine of the Church of the Nazarene. It is the central doctrine of the church of the Nazarene. The only reason there is a, any reason to have a church of the Nazarene is this. We believe that after we're saved, after we're forgiven of our sins, we can experience a second work of grace where the Holy Spirit fills our hearts with his love and enables us to love those around us so that we can do the mission of the church in the world. It's all about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that enables us to love cantankerous, rude, boastful, troublesome, cantankerous, curmudgeonly people. You may be one of them. If not, you know one of them. And your task as a follower of Jesus Christ is to love every single one of them well. You say, well, that's impossible. Well, apparently not. All you've got to do is go to the correspondence of John and you'll read again and again. If you say you love God but don't love your brother, you're lying, right? Those are frightening words. And our failure to love is epidemic across the entire church. We think that true religion is about believing right things and it's good to believe right things. But true religion is about the Holy Spirit moving into our hearts and so transforming us that he enables us to love those who are unlovely. And if we haven't caught yet the fact that the battleground of our soul is the ability to love others, then we are focused on external performance things that have no ability to save us. It's no different than trying to live up to the Old Testament law if our introspection is all fixated on our performance. We need a new practice. And the new practice is, when I transgress the law of love, I must say, Father, forgive me. I must ask myself, why is it so hard for me to love well in this situation? And I must plead with the Holy Spirit to fill me and change me, to give me his supernatural love so that I can be salt and light in this world and love others. So how are we doing at that? How are we doing at identifying 
the deficiencies in love in us and pleading for the Holy Spirit to transform us so that we can be instruments of his love. Paul writes this to the Ephesian church. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you hear his prayer for us and for the Ephesians? that we might know the immensity of the love of God for us and that we may be filled with that immense love so that being rooted and grounded in love, a love which he says is more important, that surpasses knowledge, so that we can be as Christ in this world. That's what he wants for us. And to the extent that we refuse the transforming grace of God, to the extent that we insist on our own way, to the extent that we insist on carrying our old grudges, to the extent that we refuse to get along, we resist and grieve the Holy Spirit and don't allow him to do his work in us. We need a new practice. And when we detect a failure in love in us, We need to ask forgiveness. We need to ask the Spirit to identify in us what's going on. And we need to pray, Holy Spirit, fill me with your love so that I may live as Christ in this relationship, in this situation, in this organization, at my job, wherever it is God's placed you. It's my prayer that you will be rooted and established in love. And that you will know how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ. And that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, some of us have worked for years to polish the exterior of the vessel, trying to rid ourselves of external vices and habits that we know are wrong. Lord, enable us by your grace to give as much attention to the condition of our hearts. 
that truly by your grace and by your enablement, we will be able to love well. That loving others would be our primary concern. That having a heart like yours would matter more than anything else. That we would not be ashamed to invite you to make our hearts your royal throne. That you might dwell in our hearts by faith. Help us to that end, I pray, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, forgive us for the times that we have not loved well. Forgive us, Lord, for confusing external performance with a heart full of love, deeply consecrated to you. And we confess, Lord, there are relationships in our lives that are difficult and fraught with pain. And in our humanness, we don't even know how to love. And if we are going to fulfill this royal law of love, you are going to have to help us. You are going to have to so fill us with your spirit that all we can see is you. Because this is more than we can do. But we do believe that the power to love one another is inherent in the victory of the cross. That the resurrection power of Jesus Christ enables us to be more than conquerors in every situation. And that nothing is impossible with you. And so we rely on your strength today. We rely on your victory today. And we say, Lord Jesus, send your spirit to so fill our hearts that natural, the natural expression of them is love. It will be by your spirit, Lord, or it won't be at all. And so we ask for your help. We ask for a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit, a fresh infilling of your spirit, that we are able to love the way you do. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example of this love, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. While we were still in open rebellion against you, you gave your life for us and showed us what the love the Spirit offers looks like. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would enrich our fellowship today. That as we gather to eat the food that you've given us for which we are grateful, you would nurture us and encourage us through one another, that together we may give you praise this day and always. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly more than we can ask, think, or even imagine, to the one who sends his spirit into our hearts as a precious gift, to him be glory in the church and in the world. Amen.